Hi, and welcome to the Teacher's Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and I recently celebrated my 20th anniversary in the classroom. My first year of teaching was in fourth grade, 1998 to 1999. And so I've been kind of nostalgic recently, looking back on old classes and thinking back to my early days and even to this podcast, which was put out originally several years ago. And a lot of these episodes, like the one we're going to hear today, I haven't heard in years. So I'm kind of curious to see, with my current perspective and having more experience, do these episodes still hold up? So I'm really curious about hearing the episode, which was originally titled Back to School Madness. Most of us are in back to school mode already. The back to school signs are up. Many of you probably already reported to work or you're thinking about what lies ahead. And for some of us, you know, we're excited about the challenge and starting the new. And maybe for some of us, we're like, oh gosh, this beginning of the journey and it's so exhausting trying to remember students' names and all the meetings and stuff like that. Wherever you stand on that perspective, there is some certain craziness to going back to school, especially when we're coming off summer vacation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Back to School Madness from the Teacher's Lounge. John Maxwell is quoted as saying, We cannot control life's difficult moments, but we can choose to make life less difficult. We cannot control the negative atmosphere of the world, but we, you and I, can control the atmosphere of our minds. Too often we try to choose and control things we cannot, and too seldom we choose to control what we can, our attitude. And here it is. School is back in session. For some of you, others of you are getting ready to start back to school. And I got to ask you this question. What is your attitude? Some things we can't control. But as Mr. Maxwell said, we can choose to control what we can. Our attitude. You're going to school, back to school, whether you like it or not. Are you going you know, with a positive outlook? Are you going with this, you know, trying to change some, some things and improve upon yourselves as an educator? Or are you going back in complaining and, and gathering with the negative teachers and just griping? That's not going to do anything. We just want to encourage you teachers to focus on your attitude as you start uh, this new school year. Very few careers have a beginning starting point like education. So make some New Year's goals and go into this school year with a great attitude. This is Brian Sellers and I welcome you to the Teacher's Lounge. Teacher's Lounge, a podcast for teachers by a teacher, then August means it's time for back to school. Uh, some of you are just getting ready to start, others of you have just started, so whatever it is you're doing this month, we hope that uh, August is treating you well. No doubt it's been a little bit crazy, a little bit busy, but we here at the Teacher's Lounge, we're going to be here doing an episode for you. Incidentally, I'm joined with part of the Teacher's Roundtable, James Huey is Fresh from Alaska, out in the wild for two whole weeks. Did you have a good trip, James? I had a wonderful trip. I was uh, 
staying with some friends, and there was uh, some people actually attacked by a grizzly less than a mile from where I was staying. But you weren't attacked. No, I was not. The no. bears have known better. They know about your legacy. They must. And uh, yours truly, Brian Sellers here uh, with the tan from the beach. So I guess we've been on opposite extremes. Uh, you up in the Alaska region and myself down in the Panama City Beach region. Uh, I say we're all refreshed and relaxed, uh, ready to go for this next show. So They're both beautiful places. They're both beautiful places. And uh, Evelyn's not here with us. She is recovering from back surgery. So rather than go you know, take the... Teacher's Lounge Studios to her in the Rehabilitation Center. Uh, we thought we'd just do the two of us here. Sounds like a good idea. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best to carry the uh, ship of state. And uh, this is kind of a, a show where you have a current teacher, or a fairly young teacher. I don't know if nine years is a young teacher. A veteran Younger teacher. Younger than me. Yes. Younger than me. And a veteran teacher in James here. So uh, between the two of us, we hope to make this show worth your time. And speaking of time, let's jump right into the mailbag, shall we, James? Sounds like a good plan. Sheila, uh, she says, Hi, Teacher's Lounge. I'm a second-year teacher teaching second language and math. I felt this resentment from a few good students that really has confused me, and maybe you can help. For example, today when I asked a student if she took her book back from my room without telling me, I confiscated it from her yesterday, she applied... Yes, I need to give it back to my friend. I pointed out that she was reading while the class was watching a video and it was not appropriate. And if I took away the book, she needed to talk to me to get it back. And her response was, I already know the stuff. Why should I watch it? She rolled her eyes and talked in a disrespectful way. What bothers me is that this normally well-behaved girl and one of the best students in the class talked to me like this. I know we shouldn't take things like this personally, but I can't stop wondering what I did wrong to make her talk to me this way. I'd appreciate to hear you guys' opinions on what makes students, good students, be disrespectful. I think I had better relationships with average students. Thanks, Sheila. Wow. Good students, normally well-behaved students, being disrespectful in the classroom. Sounds normal to me. Sounds normal. So even if an adult has a good relationship with these students, you know, is it possible that they're going to be disrespectful at times? Well, I mean, I would ask Sheila, does she ever have bad days? I would think she'd probably say yes, because I think all of us do. Also, the reality that this is an individual who was apparently very irritated with the teacher. The teacher is trying to project her values into a student, which is always a dangerous. Yes. It is very difficult. But we have a tendency to think that other people should behave like we would behave or we think they should behave, and it doesn't work that way. Students don't often see where we're coming from, and very routinely we forget where the student's view is coming from. It could be as simple, Sheila, is just that she didn't get a good night's sleep or maybe trouble at home, her parents fighting, you know, some resentment there. She's just taking it out on the teacher. But at the same time, my strongest reaction, Sheila, is when you ask the part, what did you do wrong? Yes. See, to me, that's the crux of the whole email, and you're automatically making an assumption that it was something you did, or something you did wrong, or it's your entire responsibility, and that's not true. I haven't even seen the student, and I've never met Sheila, but I can bet that there is never a situation where it is all one person who sets off a difficult conflict. It sounds like Sheila probably is well-liked by the students, and this probably 
took her by surprise. Sometimes we can believe our own PR, so to speak. If we have the image of ourselves as being a likable person, we tend to be very shocked when some people don't like us. Or we think of ourselves as being a very patient person, or an agreeable person, or a flexible person, or any other image. And when we actually exhibit behavior that doesn't match that expectation, we get very disappointed with ourselves. And Sheila, you didn't mention uh, what grade you, you taught, I don't think, but uh, this is very typical of adolescents to all of a sudden get some sort of reaction where you're like, where in the world did that come from? How should Sheila should have handled this? I mean, do you go like, don't talk back to me, watch your mouth, young lady? Uh, what do you, what's the proper well, reaction? Well, one thing, I encourage uh, students, I mean teachers in particular, to avoid losing their temper because they, they then are taking it personally. And one of the, your goals as a mentor or one of your goals as a guide for young people is to set some behaviors that uh, demonstrate you still know a very logical, rational, human way of relating, regardless of what is the crap that's coming from the student. And if something that is consistent, I would probably maybe even talk to the student privately, not from the class, chalk it up to a bad day or maybe a disagreement because people disagree. But if it's a consistent daily basis, a total attitude change it might be something you might want to talk to the student about and see if there's anything going on at home or behind the scenes. Well, and of course, remember, you're not the guidance counselor. You're not a, you know, a psychologist. You are a teacher, even though you do... We're expected to be both, though, I think. Oh, I think, I think teachers set themselves up to be almost anything, and administration oftentimes feeds that. You know, you are there to be the social worker, you're there to be the counselor, you're there to be the parent... You know, be the teacher, you, you do all of those kinds of things. And you're not. You are basically a teacher. And while you can still be human and exhibit all of those traits, you are still not a professional in all of those categories. But at the same time, even if you're not a professional, you can still bring it up and just say, hey, I've noticed your attitude's been different with me a little bit lately, everything going well. And sometimes the student, from my experience, will be like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Sellers, I've uh, just been going through a lot of stuff. And they don't want to talk about it any further, but that just kind of clues me in that, you know, I'm not going to take it personally, or it's not something maybe I've done as a teacher to, to tick them off and they're not telling me about. As I say, the key word is not taking it personally and not something that you have done because, once again, they can choose to be as agreeable or disagreeable as they wish, regardless of what you do. Mrs. C says, Hello all at the lounge. I have a hopefully simple question. I am a fairly new teacher teaching ninth grade English. God bless you for that, Mrs. Bless I have, you for teaching ninth graders. That's where I started. I'm at a loss for how to handle some things in the classroom. My question to you is about passing back papers. This seems like a simple task, but I'm finding it extremely problematic to find an efficient system that works for me. In fact, last year I was so bad at finding the time to pass back papers that the students often did not get their work although it was in a bin in the back, and some of them stayed after class to get their papers. I don't want to deprive the kids from getting their work returned to them. I don't want to pass back papers during an educational movie because it is too distracting. I've been told by another teacher that she has bins at the back of the class, and if students finish early, they can go get their papers. However, I'm just concerned that they will talk or goof around in the back of the class. 
Has any, any of you tried this type of setup, or do you have a wonderful system that has worked for you? I'll take any advice at this point, and much is appreciated. Thank you very much. Well, in my teaching, the only thing I could do was experiment. And there are the, I pass them back because I want to have that contact as I give the paper back to a student, whether it's a paper or a test or something of that type. I've had students pass out papers. I've had them passed out by rows, something of that type. I've had them, they're in this pile, you find it. But it's a uh, policy to you know, experiment and find out what works. I don't think there is one particular pattern that is always going to be productive with every teacher and with every class. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those things where you just have to experiment, and if it doesn't work, you say, well, that doesn't work for me. It may work for teacher A, but not for me, and steal some ideas from teachers. Personally, when I pass back papers, I always like to do it myself and have the student come to me. It, it contains some sort of order to where if I had a teach or a student's passing back papers, typically, and it really depends on the class, you know, that would be like lull time, and they would just chit-chat and goof around and stuff. But if there was a teacher's voice there, it was almost like you were still doing instruction, but you were still passing back the papers. So I would, I definitely wouldn't be a fan of the students going and getting their work because Susie might see that Mary's going over there, and they all conjugate to get their work and catch up on the latest gossip of the paper. Well, another thing she says is about she doesn't want to intrude on educational uh, moments. Well, to me, giving feedback to the student by returning work is instructional. I mean, this is part of the instructional process is that they are getting feedback. And I don't see it as just something that's tacked on as a busy work exercise. And during the movie is actually some of the best times because you don't have the downtime that you would if nothing's going on. And for me... While the movie is going on, I would say, hey, you know, what's up with this grade here? And just be able to converse a little bit with that student. If the student has questions about the grade, you know, the movie's still going on, and yet you're able to answer questions that they have. And some sort of structured time, and I think if you allow the students to go get their work, there's just going to be too much unstructured time and time that takes away from, from the learning, you think? Well, uh I would go back to, one, it is part of the instructional process, and two, experiment. Uh, as you say, go and talk to other teachers, but basically experiment, because that's what teaching is. You're continually experimenting because you have different students. Even if something worked well last year, it doesn't mean it's going to work well this year. It's part of continuing to learn yourself as long as you went through the process of teaching. And as I said earlier, too, what works with one class, you may have to change and modify with a totally different class. So, Miss C, don't be afraid to experiment and make mistakes. Ready for the next question, James? I am. This is from Maria, and she writes, I'm a sixth grade teacher, and this is my fifth year teaching. However, I'm dreading uh, open house. I know I should be used to it by now, but I'm not. I get extremely nervous talking in front of a classroom full of parents. Last year, I talked so fast they were out of my room in no time. I don't want it to be that way this year. I'm trying to think of a way to ease the pain. I know the basic things I need to discuss, like introducing myself, homework, upcoming events, discipline policies, and such. I would greatly appreciate any advice you have be willing to share that has found successful in communicating with parents. Well, one of my first reactions is, why not practice? 
the very thing that you're teaching your students to do, which is take, learn something and then practice it. And there is certainly plenty of opportunity to talk. If she has something she wants to present to the parents, then there's a mirror at home, there are tape recordings, there are all kinds of ways to experiment. We're back to experimentation again, but there's absolutely no reason to just walk in and say, I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to panic, and then proceed to do so. Well, it's interesting because it's pretty common where a lot of teachers, they can address a whole classroom full of students, but you get the parents and adults in there and they just freeze up a lot of times. And as someone who has done their fair share of communicating with all sorts of age ranges, any uh, public speaking tips? Well, as I say, I think the most important is practice. If you're not sure how you're coming across, it sounds to me like she is not really planning it like she would a good lesson plan. And to me, talking to parents is just like talking to students because, for one thing, they're both human beings, and they're both interested in your teaching process. And if there's anybody who knows your teaching process, it's you. So there's no reason you can't make a lesson plan for that first night or open house or whatever you call it. I think that's a very methodical, logical, rational way of doing it. And if you really want some feedback, then entice someone, maybe bribe them with a dinner or lunch or something and have them listen to you and give you feedback. But once again, I think the most effective way is be able to have a record and by speaking into some kind of recording device and being able to listen to it and practice and practice and practice if that's one of the things that really sends you with shivers. Because that's the way public speakers eventually have to do it. They have to practice and practice and practice. Keep it simple. Too. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times I think your Q&A from the parents are going to fill up the bulk of your time more so than you covering everything. Very much so. I would agree. It Being able to do that. But once again, it's the concept of can you make a lesson plan to do something for these parents that will meet their major question, which is, what are you going to do with my child this year? Maybe five minutes, and then 10 minutes of question and answers, and 15 minutes, and it's gone to the next period. And it's okay to be nervous, too. I mean, sure. You know, that's one of the top phobias in America, I think, is public speaking. You know? I would agree. Back to school. Some teachers are looking forward to it. Some teachers are dreading it. How powerful is our mental outlook when we have a negative or positive attitude as we get ready to start the school year and we start way back at the beginning line again. Once again, I think uh, attitude is most important as far as a criteria on what's going to happen. Your attitude plus the event will equal the outcome. So if you have a certain attitude set, then whatever happens, that will guide the outcome. For example, I did a talk down at a local senior center, and I said some people approach uh, the process of aging, some with, gee, it sure is rough getting old. That's one attitude. The other attitude is, thank God I'm still above the grass. Two entirely different approaches each day to the whole process of aging, which everyone is doing, and everyone is learning, and so forth. But the attitude of how you frame it makes a significant difference. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, your students are going to be able to pick up on that. 
um, completely, which kind of goes into the next point. Uh, the old adage, don't smile till Christmas. Well, that is certainly one uh, approach, and there are some who can uh, smile much earlier. You can smile sometimes, and once again, it's, it's an individual process. That's one of the attractions of teaching, is that every teacher in the building is not doing the same thing. But that's one of the things that is so attractive about teaching, is that even if you and I were teaching ninth grade social studies, we would be teaching the same subject in different ways. And because we have different personalities, we have different attitudes, and therefore the outcome would be different. Your students are different. Your 30 students are different than my 30 students. And even if we did the same thing, the outcome would be different. But fortunately, you will put emphasis in some area that I wouldn't, and vice versa. Would, in your own value system, would you recommend starting off strict? I learn more about myself. I think the first year, probably it is healthy to be on the strict side. Yeah. But one of the things I learned about myself was that I was building a bond with, between me and my students. And with some students, there was a need for structure, rigidity, clarity with rules. Other students you could bond very quickly with, and they accepted me as teacher. Uh, I wasn't trying to be, quote, big friend, big brother. Or anything. Exactly. They, they understood. Now, some students never understand the teacher role. Even if they've been in school for nine years, they still don't understand it. And if you happen to have students who do, fine, you can build different relationships. And that goes back to the very first email, which is you experiment. The first year is experimenting. And you said it yourself. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yes. There are so many of us who are frightened that if we make a wrong choice, it's just going to be, you know, it's going to ruin the rest of our days. And that's not true. It may ruin today, but we get a chance to re-choose again tomorrow. But those first few days and the first few weeks of school are so critical. And like you said, especially if you are new to teaching or if you're new at the school system, it's always better, in my opinion, to start off strict. And I'm not talking about yelling and flipping the lights or any of that sort of stuff, but strict and here's the rules and here's how we're going to enforce the rules. If you're yelling, you've already lost. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't, I, I, you don't have one type of discipline, one type of control. You do differently. And you have to experiment, which means you're going to mess up. You're going to find some things that don't work. And some people can smile the second week. Some people can't smile for 10 years. Some people never smile. Yeah, they take it to the extreme. They never. They should get out of teaching. I, I think it's so important. If, if we teach them anything in education, it's learning who they are, what they have to offer, and how they can do it and to be trusting themselves to experiment and not be so scared to death of making a mistake. But I understand the, the nervousness because, you know, once you mess up or make too many mistakes those first two weeks, your whole year could be shot, or it's a lot harder to get back on track. Well, that, you know, the second part, that pressure it is a lot harder. It is a lot harder to do that. But the thing is, if you don't ever find out, you'll never know. And so... Once again, you can either start off from a defensive mode or you can go on an offensive mode, which is, you know, this is part of who I am. And I'm telling you that part of me is this place is going to be under my control. That's very clear. 
I'm not going to be defensive about it. I'm not going to be nasty and mean about it. I'm not going to build a big fort to stand behind. Some teachers don't have to be strict, but I do believe that if you're going to have be an effective teacher, you need to be fair. If yes. you can't be fair, uh, I that's what I, students look for. I that's think. right. Yeah. They want you to be fair, and some teachers need to be strict in order to be fair. Some do not need to be strict, and they can be fair. All right, God, time is just flying by here. Let's do one more real quick from Elena. She says, hi, Teacher's Lounge. I just got a position teaching upper elementary. The principal told me the first few weeks should be about building community. Do you know any activities, read-alouds, writing prompts, discussions, games, anything that would be great for community building for a fifth-grade classroom? I don't know why I'm finding this so difficult. I'm also advised that not to begin teaching content for the first week, although I'm anxious to do so. What sort of classroom jobs and activities would be good for fifth graders in building community? The administrators want this to be discussed on the first day. Thank you so much, guys. Well, if the administrators want to put it on the first day, then I would say, what do you mean by doing it? Because you might as well find out what is on their thought. Because they do, they're using the word building community, but they mean something. So you might as well ask them, what does building community mean to you? One of the things I've discovered early in teaching is that a principal would say one thing, and I would interpret that word as meaning something entirely different than he or she thought. So I always say, well, what do you mean by it? I'm the one responsible for teaching in my classroom, and you are here to support me to do that job. And if you want me to do something, you'd better be clear about what it is. Something I think would be more beneficial than going to the principal, because a lot of times I found them to be out of touch and not really, as you say, clear what they want. They just throw an idea out there. Is This is where team building. Talk to the other fifth grade teachers. And what are they doing that first day of school? And if you can keep it structured to where everybody's kind of building off ideas and you know mr c is doing this mrs j is doing that and you kind of just can take some ideas from them i think that would be very beneficial and building the community among your grade level teachers well i agree and being able to share with your peer group is very very informative and educational and community is going to come eventually over time i mean that's what lunch is for and recess is for i mean that does build community among students how did your first day of school go? Well, I had a very good student teaching experience, so I was very excited and very pleased with it. It didn't take long until it got shattered, but I did start off very positive, and the first year was rough because, once again, I was not really prepared for teaching the kinds of things. We, we didn't have enough textbooks, and... Nowhere in my education did they talk about what to do if there are no books or things about how to survive when the uh, movie does not show up and you put it in your program or any of those other issues that are just so crucial to day-after-day -day survival. And so the first year was a rough one because I had students that were the most challenged and I was definitely short of supplies. And, for example, I only had 40 desks, and in one class I had 44 students. Things like that were just a challenge. 
By the time I got to the second year, I knew I could handle anything. And the confidence of experimenting uh, led you to become a better teacher. I remember it was uh, 10 years ago this September, I got my first teaching job six weeks into the year with 34 fourth graders, uh, half of them special ed, the uh, teacher had quit. Uh, so, but it remains probably one of my favorite classes because I don't know, something about your first year of teaching I think is, is just very, very memorable and the confidence that comes like, wow, you know, I can do this job. But yeah, I have a lot of good memories um, from my first year of teaching. So we hope your first days and first weeks of school definitely are a success out there. Good luck, teachers. Let us know how you're doing. We'll talk to you again soon. And Brian, you're back with you. That episode was recorded many, many years ago. And I was thinking 2008, 2009, when I hit the first decade mark. And that, so that was fun for me to listen to and hear my insights and my perspectives. And I really appreciate my uncle, James Huey, giving his insights into the broadcast as well. James Huey is still with us, and he actually has his own podcast. You can find that at PF pl.us or go to your podcast player and type in power for positive living and you'll see dr james huey's name right there so definitely encourage you to check out his podcast if you liked a lot of his insight i had to laugh at the the paper giving back papers and collecting papers that's something that i haven't done in years thanks to technology i do agree with what james had said about Feedback is so important, but thanks to tools like Google Classroom, we can give that feedback without having to go through the pains of collecting papers, people put your name on the paper, or what have you. So technology has really forced us to change and experiment, as that was pretty much the theme of the show, experimental teaching, making mistakes, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. I can say over my career that is something that I enjoy doing that keeps my teaching fresh, keeps me interested, keeps me challenged with all, especially with all the technology that has emerged since this recording first went out. As you get ready to start the year, and especially if you're a new teacher, don't be afraid to make mistakes because guess what? You're going to make a lot of them, but that is how you're going to learn and that applies to your students as well. If you'd like to send any comments or questions or feedback about this episode, you can reach me at teacherslounshow at gmail.com. We'll talk to you again soon.